Welcome to Note Up Number Whatever. In addition to having no idea what number this episode is, I am also unsure what we are titling it. Unconventional Node, Node in Real Life. How about you've done something really cool and unexpected with Node, so you are invited on the show to talk about it. Our guests today are Mariko Kosamari, Cassandra Perch, and Miles Gorins. Mariko, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Mariko. Actually, my last name is Kosaka, and everybody's confused about my Twitter handle. Did I just uh, call yeah, you Mariko Kosamari? Oh my goodness, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mariko no, that's okay. Like Kosaka. even conference, even conference booked my hotel room with that name. So like that's <laughs> <laughs> that's almost okay, official so now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I am a JavaScript engineer at a company called Scripto in New York. I also co-organize meetup called Booking.js. And while I'm not doing that, I try to make textile with code. Cool. Cassandra, do you want to take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Cassandra Perch. I'm a developer evangelist at a company called Auth0. I really like talking about uh, identity and authentication management. When I'm not doing that, I'm that person with the light up interconnected clothes is, is what I often get called. I'm a Nodebots author, speaker, and addict. And much like Marco, I actually had someone run up to me at the airport uh, a couple months ago and go, you're the Node botanist. I forgot your real name, but you're the Node botanist. And so... <laughs> I know how you feel. <laughs> cool. Miles, can you tell us about yourself, please? I'm Miles. I work for a small disruptive startup called IBM, working on the Node.js project. I'm a full-time collaborator, so my job is I go online every day and work on backporting and making sure that Node is stable. Got into programming through art and music and really love music technology, and it's what I studied in school. Cool, and we'll be talking more about that in a minute. I'm your host, Rich Trott, and I've been described as pretty cool lately, I guess. Anyway, since this is a podcast, you'll have to imagine that I said that with an appropriate shrug. Our show today is sponsored by And Yet and DigitalOcean. I'm going to invert the usual thing where I, as the host, ask questions of the guests, and instead, I'm going to field a question from Mariko's Twitter feed, which is awesome, and every listener should follow her. Her Twitter handle is in the show notes. Uh, yesterday, Marco tweeted, wondering why all podcasts are 45 minutes. In the case of the Note Up podcast, or at least the ones that I host, I think the answer is simple. It's because I don't know how to shut up, but I'll try. The listener will know if I've succeeded because this podcast will then be exactly 14 minutes long. Next question. Let's see here. Why don't we start with Cassandra? Can you tell us how you got started with the whole like brilliantly lit internet connected clothing thing? Yeah, so I was a bit of an inventor as a kid. My dad's an electrical engineer, and he introduced RoboLab to my mom's school, where she's a she was a school teacher, still is. I got to play with RoboLab kits during the summer, and, and I kind of got into a little bit of programming and, and robotics that way. But then I kind of fell into the gender-oriented, like, oh, you don't need to be studying that. You should be studying English, or you should be studying this or that or the other. I was taught to dislike math. I was taught, you know, I, I really fell into it, especially living in southern states like it did. It wasn't until college when I rediscovered my love of programming. I got my degree in computer science, and then I started speaking right out of college. I was brought into the user group world in my, my junior year, 
and started speaking about the things that interested me. And then in 2013, I attended a NodeBots workshop with Raquel Velez and Rick Waldron at JSConf, and it completely changed my life. I was so excited about programming again. It brought back all of those memories of being a kid and making all those inventions. And I decided I was going to wear a light-up dress. And the very next JSConf, I showed up, and I, w I did just that. I was wearing my first light-up dress with an Esperino. It was written in JavaScript. Yeah, it's just gone from there. I think we want to come back to that, but want to get everybody else's origin mm -hmm. stories, too. So, uh, Marco, how did you get started with the whole knitting with JavaScript thing? I've seen, like, three versions of your talk about it, and each one gets more awesome than the last one. The project itself that I've been talking last year started like almost a year ago or a year and a few months ago. But the idea of like finding a close intersection between knitting and programming probably started maybe like four years back. I didn't come from a traditional background. I studied communication in college. I studied like web, but not in coding sense. I studied the culture of the web. And then I got a job as a kind of project product manager at a um, company back in Tokyo. I moved here almost five years ago. Anybody experienced the whole like moving and the like, green card stuff, like it took me a long time. So while I wasn't legally being able to employed, I decided to just start learning to code. I was already dealing with developers on my previous job. I was comfortable talking tech, but I've never committed single line of code. I was always like, you know, you need to make these service and connect these two together and there should be API. So I was like, well, why don't I just learn to do that? While I was doing that, so I completely taught myself from like various online resources and books. While doing that, I knit as a hobby since I was like seven or eight. And it was winter. The whole reason that I started learning JavaScript was that the winter storm was hitting New York. I was about to be grounded in my apartment for like a week and I was like nothing to do. So like two things I was doing was like learning JavaScript and knitting. And as I was knitting, it's also like fresh perspective to me that freshly moved to US was that the way we describe knitting pattern in Japan is much more graphical. It's always graph paper and it's like visual. And the way you do it in US is much more language. It's like code. So I was doing those two things parallel together and I noticed like, oh, knitting is like coding. Never, you know, from there it took me like three years to be like professional developer and like, you know, how to submit to conference. But that was always in my mind. Like, oh, knitting is like, you know, the coding is like knitting. And last year around this time, I had done one not bot workshop and blinked one LED three months ago. So like three months ago last year. Wait, that's weird. <laughs> anyway, so I did that one blink and I totally thought like, oh, I can totally do everything now, obviously. So I was talking to a really good friend of mine, Tracy, when she was looking for speakers for her conference and I kind of like pitched the idea of like oh I've always thought like knitting is like coding and like I like kind of want to make talk about it none of the hardware stuff none of the knitting machine stuff was planned I was just purely going to talk about how knitting is related to coding but somehow being encouraged by that one blink I just throw in like it'd be cool if I can control knitting machine with Arduino which I have never got done yet. 
but I just threw in in the proposal. And from there, the proposal got accepted. People just looked at that hardware part. And I was like, oh, I guess I might have to do that now. And from there, it's just, yeah, that's how it started. I have like a million questions, but I, like I said, I want to get everybody's origin stories. So let's go to Miles now and talk about uh, how you found yourself writing JavaScript to make things bleep and bloop in a particular rhythm and pitch sequence. Many past lives ago, I wanted to be a director and a cinematographer in the film world. And I went to go show my portfolio at an undergrad school that I wanted to go to. And as I was leaving, I ran into someone who had taught me before, who basically said, why are you going to film school or why are you going to go do camera school? This program in media arts is way cooler. And he, he was right. And I looked into it and I ended up going to this media arts program. And uh, I got into JavaScript and programming essentially to make art and music. There's this fantastic device called the Mono, which I always call like a dumb grid of buttons. It does absolutely nothing, but you can program it to do anything. And so I became obsessed with that controller, and that controller is programmed in a language called MaxMSP, which was my first programming language. I learned a ton in Max, and Max actually has a whole layer inside that you can use JavaScript to essentially do anything with their API, and it's really powerful. So I started doing stuff with JavaScript in Max at first, and then I wanted to start using mobile devices to, to control synthesizers, and I decided it would be way easier to do it with web technologies than trying to make a native app. And so I looked online, like, how do I just take a basic message from a website and put it on my computer? There was some sort of tutorial on PHP, which was really hard, and I couldn't get it to work. And then there was a tutorial on Node, and I got a prototype up and running, having never really written much client-side JavaScript or, or much back-end code, and I had a prototype in like an hour and a half. And pretty much after that day, I was sold. Cool. We're going to take a break to hear from one of our sponsors, and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit more with Marco, Miles, and Cassandra. And yet, we're very inspired by the Dreamers. But for certain people... The skills necessary to do portions of their app or product development dream don't come naturally, or at all. And that's where we can come in and help out. We've got folks specializing in design, ops, architecture, security, web, mobile, front-end, back-end, admin, project management, you name it. We are builders of things. It doesn't matter where at in the process. We make things for technologists, and we're very good at building things for others. We've loved helping build apps and tools with folks at AT&T, the Creative Artists Agency, the Flatiron School, and Major League Soccer, to name a few. Reach out at contact at andyet.com or visit us at andyet.com for more info or just to say hi. From dream to deploy, we're here to help. And yet, the kind and efficient sort of perfectionists. Welcome back to NodeUp. In the previous segment, Mariko mentioned that knitting is like coding. I don't know if Miles mentioned that music is like coding or not, but that's often said. I've certainly said it. I think that there's sort of this, this thing where there's rules to, to how to do patterns and how to make things fit together. And then you follow all these rules and you find yourself backed into a corner and you learn all of these tricks to get around the rules. I think it's sort of like exercises different parts of your brain maybe that kind of like then strengthen your ability to program in, in my opinion anyway which kind of now that i've pontificated 
needlessly for 30 seconds. I can go back to my guests. It's kind of like brings up what, why do you do JavaScript with cool stuff like knitting and music and clothes and everything else? Like, why does this stuff matter? And what superpowers does, does doing this sort of thing give you? For reason for me to do it with JavaScript was easy. I guess JavaScript was my first kind of general purpose programming language, like my first language. I was really comfortable with it. The hack for knitting machine has been done in other languages, most popular one in Python. And there's like some Ruby and some people who's doing it in C. My first step into hacking knitting machine was that like, oh, somebody made a code that talked to this machine already in different language. And just fleshily learned Node a few months ago and deployed my first Express app uh, and blinked my LED. I was like, surely Node should be able to do this. So it was more like fun challenge of like somebody else is doing it in another language. It should be able to, like I should be able to do it in my primary language. And that turned out to be really awesome combination. And I'm sure the, the hardware and JavaScript mix, Cassandra can talk more about it. So when you were done, was there, or done-ish, I mean, I guess these things are never really done. You know, after you had worked on it a while and gotten, you know, a prototype or whatever together, like what sorts of things did you know after that that you didn't know going into it? What sorts of things did it, did it teach you? In regular learning JavaScript for like web, you will never encounter operator called bitwise operator. And you will probably not really encounter buffer in Node unless, like, maybe, like, if you are, like, just starting out as a web dev writing Express app, you may deal with buffer when you're dealing with kind of, like, file stream. But that's it. Like, you don't go deeper into what actually buffer is. But the actual process of hacking onto knitting machine, the core of it is uh, making a file that, knitting machine accepts. And making a file means that there is a specification of in what bit this should be there and in what bit this should be flagged and how to complete these pattern data by bit shifting and everything. So I was just looking at this Python code of like, you know, I don't know, a few hundred lines of code. And I noticed this like weird character in Python. I, I was also like fresh Python developer. I was at the time working for the Python dev shop. So I was like, I never learned this operator. Like, that's weird. And I guess like takeaway was like JavaScript can use or manipulate bit too. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But yeah. So Miles, why does this sort of stuff matter to you? Like, and what superpowers does it give you? One of the things that I think is really interesting thinking about music and some of the, like, the lower level music stuff when looking at JavaScript is that JavaScript's actually not an amazing language for doing any of this. A lot of music languages, like when you get into the more academic side, tend to be really interested in A, audio having its own thread, and B, audio being able to have sample accuracy to be able to do certain kinds of algorithms. And neither of which is really possible in a performant way in JavaScript. But kind of the, the magic here is that, like, despite that, it's still, like, so easy to kind of get some basic stuff going. The thing that I find it's most interesting for, actually, is less on the synthesis side, though, and more on, like, the control interface and interaction side. Being able to quickly turn any device with web technology 
into a music controller um, is like really simple using a couple open standards and a few modules. And that's really cool. It's like a major superpower to be able to take, you know, pretty much bootstrap and like 10 lines of node and be able to communicate with pretty much anything that speaks MIDI or open sound control. Miles did a really fun short talk. Actually, Marco's talk was also at one of the versions of it was at Waffle JS. I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly. And Miles did a pretty fun talk at a Waffle J a Waffle JS probably online, where the attendees control pitch and probably other things from their mobile phones, or or he controls their mobile phones. I, I forget. It was it, that's how blown my mind was. I can't remember the details. I just remember thinking that's that's great. Do you feel like slogging through the javascript to make it work with the audio taught you anything about either javascript or audio or programming or life or spirituality well hitting a lot of the walls made me a little bit more aware of the fact that this is all just made by people people who make decisions like looking at the web audio api was designed by people who went to particular institutions and i won't get too much into like you know the politics or like philosophy behind it but you know all these standards are being written by people they're being worked on by people and they're not bulletproof that was like a really like mind-opening thing for me when i started following you know the web audio working group you know they have stuff moving right now for an audio worker which would be built on top of web workers and give audio its own thread and the ability to write custom algorithms and at the same time there's like a video group and another of other groups that are trying to build similar things and, you know, seeing kind of how disparate, like the creation of all of these standards are, while at the same time, like realizing it's just people is, is pretty cool. So perhaps one takeaway is that the standards process does not always produce the optimal result, but it provides to a result that is workable. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's one way to put it. My superpowers are far more emotional than they are code-based. A little bit about my background. I mentioned that there was a lot of gender-based issues in my in my childhood and and there was a lot of bullying in my childhood. I never really I never really had a place to call home as a kid other than my immediate family and my actual house. And code was one thing I could control. I couldn't control having to go to school every day. I couldn't control all that, but I, I could control code. And that, that stuck with me for a while. And when I started going to user groups and conferences, I, I still felt like an outsider. I felt like someone who was kind of standing there looking in. And when I went to the, the workshop in 2013, Raquel made me feel safe and at home and like I was welcome. And just that emotional feeling has really changed the way I view the world and it's really helped me learn more about empathy and how we treat other people because what we build is so much more than than robots and software what we build affects people on a daily basis so what we what we do with the, and how we interact with each other matters so much and I think that is really what I've gained from my nodebots experience beyond any technical skills is being able to realize and try to teach others that how we treat people as a community as fellow programmers is is so much more important at the end of the day than what we build one of my most recent sayings has been I, I hate hearing that 
communities only care about the people who push the best code. We don't need jerks who push good code. If we support and we and we emphasize a good community and support good people, good code will follow. I stand by that, and I mean it. And I think that really sums up what I've gained from doing all of this JavaScript, NodeBots, art-related stuff. Cool. That's awesome. Miles, did I hear you say earlier that I want to say you said software is people, but I'm not sure you said that this episode or you said that in an earlier conversation. You may have been watching the recent talk from 4JS that I gave, Soylent Bits. There's a fantastic t-shirt from Andyet, who I think is sponsoring this episode. I don't know if I broke the rules by mentioning them, but I did. But so they have this excellent shirt that says, software is made of people. And there's like, you know, it's a really powerful thought. The idea being, you know, we it's really easy to start making decisions based on pragmatism, based on purely technical merit. And I use the term merit grudgingly. But in reality, there's a, a lot of different reasons why we may do things or may not do things. And simply looking at the output of a benchmark is, is not the only reason to make a decision. One thing that was interesting that's happening a lot to me at a conferences is that significant others, like this happened to me a lot in JSConf. So I was talking about how knitting is like just coding. And there is a lot of significant others who usually are not, I, I hate to say this non-technical, but like not a software engineer, right? Their partner pulled them into my talk because, you know, they might be interested in like something different than software engineering. So a lot of people came up to me saying like, I really enjoyed your talk. I just like peeked into your talk. My husband or boyfriend or, you know, the partner pulled me into your talk. And I finally understand what he or she is doing a job. And after the video published after the conference, a lot of my software engineer friend is like, now I can finally send it to my partner so that they understand what I do. So that's kind of like interesting find to me because these two things came together to me and I never questioned that was like, oh, this is a similar thing, but kind of like talking to like, like communicating what computer that through a medium that non-software engineer people can touch. I don't know if I put it in there. <laughs> I don't know. So I think, I think it's really powerful. It was really powerful for me anyway to sort of think about a physical result of code. I don't usually see like, you know, I, I usually don't think about the code behind things that I can touch and physically interact with. But after your talk, it got me thinking a lot about you know, wow, you know, I mean, maybe this is obvious to, to, to other people who do software, but, but to me, I never thought about, you know, all of the engineering work and all of the, all of the, the, the thinking that goes into, for example, a 3D printer. And I believe it was you who came up with a, a website that takes an image and spits out what that image would look like if it were knitted. Oh, yeah, Sweaterify. So Sweaterify was what we used when my previous boss retired and we wanted to uh, give them a, uh, a gift. We made a large paper you know, image of a, of a sweater with their face on it. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> it, it was kind of a little weird, actually, but it was really fun, though. Like, and it took no time at all, and you did all the work, so thanks. <laughs> <laughs> 
Also, to go off Marco's point of like uh, pulling in partners, pulling in significant others, JavaScript and art has a huge effect on kids as well. We need a more diverse group of programmers. That's that's a topic that's you know not far from anyone's mind. Hopefully, and it's certainly not here. Not far from anyone's mind is we need more diverse programmers now, but we especially need them in the future too. Giving the child an access point to say you can create your own music when you learn this, or you can make an LED blink. Uh, Marika referenced this earlier as well. When you blink that LED, you feel so powerful. You feel like you can do anything, and to give that access to a child who has, you know, not just that that newfound interest, but that that already wonderful imagination that tends to kind of shrink and by little by little as they get older. I do believe that spreading art and technology together to all kids, uh, all socioeconomic groups, all races, genders, etc. I believe that will spur a large, diverse population as long as we can get our stuff, to avoid cursing, get our stuff together as adults to treat them correctly when they enter the actual programming community. It's definitely a complex issue as a whole, but I think mingling art and technology in, in, in ways like what Marico has done is going to create a diverse next generation of programmers. We just also have to fix the problem of not losing them once they become software engineers with toxic community, which, which Miles kind of ta- uh, touched on in his Forward JS talk. That is a really great point. Here's a word from one of our sponsors. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your application off the ground quickly and the easiest to scale when you find success. Start with the pre-configured Node.js one-click to get up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSDs in state-of-the-art data centers around the world. Scale your infrastructure using advanced features like floating IPs for high availability, private networking, and API access for automated deployments. DigitalOcean is the fastest growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. Visit digitalocean.com and use the promo code NOTEUP on the billing page for a $10 credit to get started today. Welcome back. Many lives ago, I did music composition in C music, which is one of those programming languages that Miles referred to earlier as a language that is more suited for music programming than perhaps JavaScript is in some respects. I have not felt the need to revisit such things with JavaScript or anything else, but all three of you are so inspiring that I'm totally going to do it, and, I abs- and I'm, I'm being completely sincere, I mean that. I do have to first finish up something I promised in a previous Note Up episode, which was that I would finish my Johnny Boo rock opera, which is almost done, honest. So, you know, for people looking forward to that, which would be my daughter, and that's about it. It's coming soon. Anyway, we're going to go back to Marco's Twitter feed. Judging from something else she posted yesterday, she went through at least a short period of burnout on the knitting project a few months back. She had some harsh and profane words. (laughs) Or should I say exactly one harsh and profane word for knitting? That brings up a question that might be worth talking about, which is this. Like, how do you keep something like this going when it's really just you and your possibly quirky labor of love? Like, or, or is that even important? Is, is the thing to do to just, you know, do it until you don't feel like doing it anymore and then stop? Or does completion, whatever that means, matter? In my mind, my project is one long stream of my deep whole 
path into something that just started as noticing that knitting is like coding and probably boosted because I did a talk and a lot of people put input into it. So the burnout part you mentioned, I got kind of burned out on just thinking everything in knitting term. Obviously, I talked a lot about knitting project in the conferences. People noticed me as that knitting person. And anything I do next was like, oh, then that's going to knit something, right? So at the end of the year, I still have a lot of interest in research, interesting research going on in my mind. But the knitting part was like less interesting to me. If you look up my talk, actually, the core part of my talk that I did last year was about image processing and, you know, noticing like, bits and like what where bit come from and like how computers are formed and like all kinds of interesting things and my minds were still moving and doing other stuff but I was just kind of done with you know applying that to knitting just because I was known as a knitting person so I just like walked away for like three months just didn't even put the time cap on it I was just like I'm just gonna come back when I'm ready to come back and because I was going to talk about my knitting on this podcast, I was like, huh, maybe I should revisit that code again to just brush it up. And then I just found very profound test image that I used when I was kind of on the edge of burning out. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, this question is for Mariko, but it's also for Miles and Cassandra. So anybody who wants to answer, please do. But... I mean, I guess another way of, of asking the question about how you deal with burnout is kind of flipping it around. It says, what, you know, why are you motivated to do this stuff and what, what keeps you going and why, why is it awesome? So I never had a formal education in how computer works or how computer programming works, even though I did like a few required class in college. And I'm just like discovering as an kind of like adult child, like, oh my God, this like interesting computer stuff that makes something with logic. And so like anything that's related to computer history, programming language history, bits, and like making mechanics of it interests me. It's just the first application that I found was in knitting. On the sense of like finding my inspiration, I still have a lot of margin to explore in this rich computing history. And it's just, my mind just like goes on to like, I, I recently visited a museum in New Jersey, just like rented a car, went there, which has like fantastic collection of music box. And they have fantastic exhibition of like how music from like a paper punched a hole, tape to like a recode to digital audio and like all of that. Like, so like, I'm just like, let, let my interest go deep into whatever, whatever I find it interesting. I haven't burned out or struggled to find the inspiration on that end. I have been struggling to find inspiration on actually making some kind of demo or like forming something out of that. Knitting was kind of easy because it was just obvious to me. But basically, I have a lot of interest in research and things that I've been needing, but I haven't found application or the way to demo that um, research. As for, for burnout, really the only burnout I've experienced in this line of work was actually uh, political in nature. Around the time that 
IO and Node merged back together and the foundation was made, I was just done with Node politics. And so I think I said it a million times on Twitter. I don't want to talk about Node anymore. I'm just going to go build robots in my lab and I'll be back when I'm back. And I still did a few conferences and I, I still associated with, with close friends from the hobby. But as for inspiration, like... For me, I just write down every, I have an iPad Pro now, I used to have like a thousand moleskines, but I just write down what I'm thinking just about all the time, and it started to kind of leak into my experience with JavaScript, so uh, we were kind of talking before the show about about music and, and writing music with JS, and that's something that I've, I've started to kind of be inspired by, because I... It'd be really cool if, like, you know how everyone in life wants a theme song that when they enter a room, that theme song plays? Like, if I could make a dress that just, like, played my theme song when I walked into a room, like, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. And then I'd write that down. And what Mariko's doing, I also knit, and I'm dyslexic. And so her pattern generator, like, the, the graphical style, style of knitting pattern is way easier for me to read because it's way easier for my dyslexic brain to not mess up like it does with a written American pattern. Looking at the way to generate a graphic pattern from a writing pattern is something of great interest to me. So I guess the short version of all that is watching other people's work is what provides to build new things. The community is vast and diverse in what they do. There is no shame in saying, wow, the person's doing some doing something really cool. I want to do that too. I want clothing that plays a theme song when I enter a room. And I'm completely serious. That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> Miles, do you have anything to add on the topic of inspiration? I think artistic inspiration is one of those really interesting things that kind of comes and goes in waves. I've found personally the more that I've... I've been at like a weird impasse because a lot of my art and a lot of the work that I've done artistically draws from very similar technologies to what I use in my day-to-day -day work. And I've found that as my work becomes more and more, you know, like part of my life, I've actually been needing to kind of decompress more and, and do less with, uh, with my free time to be less ambitious with the things that I'm doing while I'm not at work. And so like, for example, you know, like notice something that I'm very passionate about and was something that I would do in my free time. And now that, you know, I'm doing it nine to five every day, I really don't want to be mecking about with it too much, you know, like after I'm done work. So I found that, you know, the more that I've been getting into the tech scene, the less art I've been making, which is probably not great. I think in the past I was very inspired by learning and by teaching. And a lot of my art was based around this kind of didactic theme that like by interacting with the art and by interacting with the work, you would learn something. And I'm still kind of following that didactic stuff, doing work with stuff like note school, but not not so much art lately, unfortunately. I'm still super inspired by a, lo a lot of the stuff that's out there. And I'm like sitting next to a giant thing that I wrote one day that just says, um, let's make stuff, let's stop waiting. You know, like, so it's definitely something that I want more of and I want to be inspired more to. I guess like, I think maybe the positive thing to take from that is to recognize that sometimes you will be in more creative places than others. And that's not a bad thing, but just to be like positive about getting back to a creative space. I have like a few things to add to that. Like, so last summer I did this two week 
just you know take off from job and then two weeks hang out with for better of luck or like creative coding people not necessarily javascript people and that two weeks made me so much of my demo like 64 stitches which is like domain specific language for lighting so transferring the the written code like sandra said to like a visual pattern and then also like a base of Sweaterlyfy was there and like I made 8-bit computer and then all of that. But that came from just completely interacting with the people who is outside of my comfortable zone and then people who speak art and people who see things differently. And I noticed that I organized meetup and then like I always looking for interesting speakers and you know. So one thing I ask is like, what are you working on recently? Like you should speak at my meetup. And they're like, oh no, no, I'm not doing any cool thing in JavaScript like you do with knitting and JavaScript. And then I'm like, my project didn't come from this constraint of like JavaScript, like a cool thing with JavaScript. It came from just like, just general like computing and idea of like logic and everything. So like I really find it like, because I'm, 90% only JavaScript developer, my go-to language to use is always JavaScript. So it ended up being JavaScript project, but like where the project and inspiration start from, it's almost always like outside of that, my comfortable JavaScript zone. Mariko just mentioned the phrase creative coding. And I really like the name creating creative coding with Node over, you know, we've been kicking around other names, JavaScript in the arts and stuff. For what it's worth, I really like creative coding because it's 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 really open and expansive. And to me, in the arts, seems more like it sets boundaries and is confining. I have one more question for Marco before we go to plugs. Because I'm from New Jersey, even though I haven't been there in years, you mentioned that cool museum in New Jersey. What is the name of that museum and where <laughs> is it? Because we have to add it to the show notes. It's Morris Museum in Morristown, New Jersey. It's a very small, like, town type, like, everything type of museum, but they have a fantastic collection, Guinness collection of automata. So automata meaning automated moving dolls, not, like, automata in the sense of computer science and code. Automata is usually, like, some kind of moving dolls or something that has music box inside. So they have fantastic collection of that. So that was the Morris Museum in Morristown? Yep. Cool. It's time for plugs, where we all talk about something that we want everybody to know about. It doesn't have to be related to the show. doesn't have to be related to, to Node. It can be whatever we want. Let's start with Cassandra. My plugs for the day are basically the Node.js Robotics Working Group. We are starting meetings up again. We kind of had a, a, a little bit of a hiatus there due to some emergencies. But we're coming back. We're going to be doing some good work. Nodebots Day comes up July 27th of this year. Check for a local event if you're interested in getting more into Nodebots. And finally, Jen Schiffer has been doing some really cool stuff with uh, what she calls VART, virtual art. And I think it ties in really well with this whole creative coding and, and JS in art theme. So definitely check out Jen Schiffer's work with VART and virtual artwork. Cool. Miles, do you want to plug something? Two things that are worth plugging for those who are in the Bay Area. Waffle JS is a really fantastic meetup. I, I can't suggest it enough. Heavily inspired by Brooklyn JS. Thank you, Mariko and company. Node School is also a really great thing. It's in over 50 cities around the world. So go to nodeschool.io and check it out and see if there's a local chapter. Usually chapters do monthly meetups. It's a really great way to get to know and meet people and learn cool new stuff. 
Awesome. Mariko, do you want to plug something today? Yes, I'm going to plug, selfishly plug, my meetup that I organized called Brooklyn JS. And expanding to that, Borough JS. So in New York City, we have now five JavaScript-related meetups. That means, and that's regularly scheduled. That means any given week, if you're visiting New York, there's a Japan JavaScript hangout happening. And I do one called Brooklyn JS, which is always third Thursday. As Miles mentioned, Waffle.js was inspired by Brooklyn.js and started, which then inspired Peninsula.js in Mountain View and inspired Donut.js in Portland, Oregon. So definitely fun to hang out with people and then talk. And Brooklyn.js always like, like JavaScript art, creative coding type of demo. They're always welcome to come hang out. And one other thing was that like, it recently came to my Twitter feed. The GDC is happening right now. And we never talked about like applying to the game side of creative like code and JavaScript. But there is a game that is a adventure game controlled on embroidery machine. So as you move your thing, whatever you call it in game, it embroiders your path. I'm trying so- to find the name of it. It came out of like a Disney research lab in Pittsburgh. So you try yeah. to move through a maze, and in in you try to move through a maze, basically, yep. and, and on the embroidering machine. Embroidering machine, like, basically, embroids your path as you play the game. So, cool. like, you can also apply physical and game and coding. So awesome. I'll, I'll find that and then send the link to you. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely have that in the show notes. I would like to plug the Node.js testing working group, which uses more creative coding than you might think, and perhaps more creative coding than perhaps we ought to. Some upcoming events that if you are into Node, you might be into these events. JSConf Uruguay, April 15th and 16th in Montevideo. NodeConf London is coming up on May 11th. Empire JS in New York City will be May 26th and 27th. By the way, links for all of these conferences will be in the show notes. NodeConf Oslo, June 24th. NodeConf Adventure, June 9th through 12th at Walker Creek Ranch, California. Dinosaur JS, June 24th in Denver. Cascadia Fest, July 8th through 10th in Washington State, United States. OS and Feels, hey, that's in Portland, isn't it? Open source and feelings, anybody? I think it's, it's Seattle. It's a fantastic conference. I spoke last year. And where is it happening this year? Does anybody know? Is it? It's uh, in Seattle. It is in Seattle. Okay, OS Conference Field, uh, Open Source and Feelings, July twenty second and twenty third in Seattle. JS Comp Iceland in Reykjavik will be August twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Node Interactive EU, September 15th and 16th in Amsterdam, and Node Interactive North America, November 29th and 30th in Austin, Texas. Did I miss anything? Does anybody have anything they want to add to that blizzard um, of you conferences? Forgot y'all, after Austin, Texas, the, pronu- <laughs> the correct pronunciation is Austin, Texas, y'all. And you know it's the correct pronunciation because you live there. Yeah, yes, yes, I live there, and it's, it's Austin, <laughs> Texas, y'all. Got it. I'll try to remember that next time. So, <laughs> I want to thank my guests today, Mariko Kasaka. Thank you. Thank you. Cassandra Perch. Thanks. And Miles Borens. Thank you. I'm Rich Trot. C. Jordan Muir and Haley Knox have also been absolutely critical to getting this episode done. If you know either of them personally, give them a high five and buy them a pizza. I've actually never met either of them, and I've been hosting this podcast for months. Follow a note up on Twitter 
sponsor NodeUp, you can email NodeUp at gmail.com for more information. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and see you next time on NodeUp. that like you like the the word creative coding because i i felt like i don't like the word creative coding oh okay do you i mean well do you think it's better than like as so, a title so the for the Tumblr program i did last year was co specifically called school for poetic computation it is a create like in generally like the the group that's identified as creative coding people but creative coding is has like a rich history like they used to have zines and like you know people always has been making like code art a lot so they didn't want to necessarily tie themselves to code so they specifically dropped the name creative coding and told themselves as a uh, poetic computation so that could include like anything that's like dealing with logic and kind of like thinking the way computer thinks, I think. The Borough.js meetup ha always has interesting people working on interesting projects that's generally falls under creative coding. And we always talk about like, we should make like another uh, meetup called RJS or like JS meetup that's specific to creative coding. But then we always like hit the brick wall of like, if we call it something, something JS, then we don't include the cool art people who is using like open framework or processing or other things. So like yeah. we always struggle to find a name for this gathering that we basically we want to hang out with comfortable JavaScript welcoming community people, but also want to do art. Creative but technology. By, right. But by <laughs> specifically saying .js so that we have comfortable community coming in then we're gonna exclude all the cool creative people that's around us and then we fear that if you just call it creative coding then we just like open up like other i don't know so, so yeah, the, that's the, like the, ongoing discussion yeah i think you're onto something with like js in the arts except like code in the arts is kind of like it kind of at least that's the closest thing i can think of to intersect like what Marika was saying about not just making it about JavaScript, like code in the arts kind of opens it up to a very broad group of activities and people. I would even go with technology just generally like, you know, but, but the, the part, the thing I liked about creative code wasn't the code part. It was the creative part. Cause yeah. again, just like creative is really open and suggests all sorts of things. The arts arguably would exclude what, what you and Marika or Cassandra and Marika are doing arguably like to some people the definition of art that wouldn't fit under there i mean that's a very subjective thing but i don't think anybody would would question that it's creative and so that's what i kind of like about it, is that it's way more broad and open and welcoming to my ear that's fair yeah creative technology it is then <laughs> <laughs>